Welcome to uh, episode eight of the podcast. I forgot. I um, forgot the name of our podcast for a second. <laughs> Welcome to Semi Pro and TO. I'm Chelsea. I'm Dara. Uh, we're happy to have you back. Uh, sorry for the miss last week. We uh, we had uh, a little change. What happened? Sorry, not sorry. I was in Japan. Japan. How was it? Japan. So good. Yeah. What was your favorite thing that you did? Ooh, unprepared for this. Um, we saw a million shrines and temples and castles, but I think there was one really special shrine in Hiroshima that I liked. What's it called? <sighs> On the spot. <laughs> Mitaki Dera Shrine? It's literally called Mitaki Dera. Yeah. Like it's named after you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that why it's your favorite? No, I think Dara, like D-E-R-A, is okay. some suffix in Japanese. Did you learn any indicates. Japanese while you were there? No. No? No. I don't remember how to say anything that I learned on Tara's house. So, so, so. So, 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 so. Yeah, that's the only thing I remember. Um, oh, and then the thing they say before they eat, which they say every time. Itadakimasu. Yeah, itadakimasu. <laughs> um, okay, well, we're back now. Dara had a great trip. So good. So good. So good. Um, do you want to tell us anything that happened? Any fun stories? Any fun stories? Um, it was a beautiful country. <laughs> I did Tokyo and Hiroshima. Um, I was kind of expecting a little bit more culture shock, um, but we stayed in a pretty normal neighborhood in Tokyo. We were sort of in Chuo, which is close to the fish market, kind of on the, I guess, east side of the city. Like, we would have to go across the city to go to, like, Harajuku or Shibuya, um, which are kind of a little bit more affluent, a little bit more touristy, but also, like, crowded. Yeah. skyscrapers um our neighborhood was a little bit quieter which i liked and so it was just felt really normal um everything is so much cleaner and efficient and like to the point that they're just like oh that person's job is to sweep up all of the leaves that fell overnight to clean the sidewalk from Hmm. any errant leaves that might have fallen i would love to live in a place like that so i want to go to singapore i've heard singapore is even better yeah yeah um, I did go to Tokyo for nine hours, and I went to Shibuya Square. <laughs> it's the one place I went to. It was yeah. really busy. I did. Um, I don't know if you watched this Richard Gere movie. <laughs> um, it's about a dog. It's called Hachi. No. It's, I think, I can't remember if the story's actually, it must be Japanese in origin, but the Richard Gere version of this movie is... He lives in a small town. He's a professor or whatever. This Shiba Inu falls off a train, and then he finds it. And, you know, he's, like, going... Richard Gere's going through some stuff, and this dog, like, saves his life, essentially. Um, The dogs have that kind of power. The dogs have that kind of power. And so, um, Hachi's really smart. He... Every day, Richard gets on the train to go to work, comes back on the train, and Hachi, like, loves Richard Gere. So he, like, escapes every time to go meet him at the train, at the appointed train hour. Because he, like, understands exactly when he comes home, which train is his, when the whistle, like, he can hear it coming through town because it's a small town. 
Um, but then, like, one day, Richard Gere does not come home. Oh, God. And then the rest of the movie is just about Hachi showing up to the train station every day. It sounds so depressing. <laughs> I think there's, like, some other uplifting segments Did he die? Movie. Yeah, like, Richard Gere died. Oh, God. In the movie. But Hachi, like, shows up to the train station every day waiting for him. There are, like, Hachi memes dies. about this kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's Anyways, so there's a statue of Hachi, Hachi? in Shibuya. Where the crossing is, and I took a picture with that statue. I have a picture at the crossing. Maybe I, I inadvertently have a picture of Hachi. Probably. Probably. I didn't yeah. know about that, though. I can't remember really ha- what happens to the rest of the movie after that turning point because I don't understand how it's not just the saddest movie ever. Uh, yeah, that's because <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. But there right is now. still movie after that. Oh, I recently watched another dog movie that was really good, but also sad. It was like The Life of a Dog. I don't remember what it was called. But it was like this boy gets this dog, and then this dog lives all these different lives. Like yeah, every time it dies, it, it like comes movie. back with the same brain, but it lives different lives. Mm-hmm. And there's this one where it comes back as a German Shepherd, and it's a police dog, and the whole scene just like gutted me. But anyway, it was a good Aww. movie overall. Dog just dog movies. movies are sad. Yeah, like that Marley one. No, no thanks. Um, so happy to hear Japan was good. <laughs> um. I had a very quiet couple of weeks. Nothing exciting Chelsea, to share. what happened here? Nothing. What happened in T.O.? Nothing. No. Oh, actually, okay, so at work the other day, this is something I was going to mention to you. So I was at work the other day, and we had, like, um, there was, like, a an increased police presence at, yeah, at the oh. Skydome NCN Tower. And um, my, like, I had read, I had just typically like browse some like quick news when I come in in the morning so I had seen it but then my work sent out an email being like okay there's increased police presence and that's like pretty close to where I work so we got an email from our work being like there's this thing whatever but we don't know what it is and the police said don't worry basically and so everything like they did a press conference and they like said all these things but basically all of it was like we're increasing police presence like don't worry and everyone was just like what but why yeah like but what happened like what they got a tip or something but they wouldn't tell anyone what it was or what was happening until it was like resolved I guess so we're all just like in our offices near the CN Tower thinking like obviously thinking the worst like something terrible is gonna happen like a bombing or like something mm-hmm. like some tip came in that that something is gonna anyway was so famous no it was like a uh, what was the reason they had gotten a tip that sure that something was gonna happen and then nothing happened and it was totally fine yeah i think someone pointed this out to me recently and i would never ever have put this together where um i think before the trip, we recently went to a Jays game. Mm. Um, and so we're marking in the stadium, and um, a friend points out, and he's just like, yeah, it's so interesting how they have, like, these, like, dump trucks here now and things like that. And it's the reason that they have it is to increase, like, if there is an explosion, it minimizes, like, collateral damage. What? Really? Yeah. Because they're heavy? Yeah, they're just, like, big, heavy objects that, like, provide protection. Jeez. Yeah. And I was just like, that's what those are there for? I would never have thought of that. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Is this, like... So this is why I feel like... Because the stadiums are dense, central places of 
where lots of people go. Oh, no, totally. I fully accept that that is where it would hit if something were to hit. Yeah, yeah, a stadium or a CN Tower. Like, that That makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the fact that there was an increased police presence or that there could have been an attack. That's not what, like, was weird. It was, like, that they wouldn't tell us what was going on. That's the part that was weird. But that is... No, that makes sense there, right? Because they can't give you the information that they're working on because it endangers... But they, but but they, but just in general, by telling us that they were increasing police presence and that they'd gotten like a like a tip or like a threat, that alone creates chaos. Like we were already panicked. Like because and because we were missing information, we're creating all these stories in our head. Mm -hmm. When they probably could have diminished the fear by saying like you know this is what we're thinking or we're not sure, but this is where we're at. Like, we'll give you all the information as it comes, that kind of thing. Like, I I don't know. There's, I think there's a fine line between not panicking the public. Yeah. Yeah. But also providing enough information. And I feel like maybe they leaned too heavily on the not providing enough information side this time, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be nothing for sure. Like it it was nothing. I never really heard anything else about it after that, but, Mm -hmm. um, but we've had a lot of crime in Toronto recently, like more than any of the past, few years and they're increasing police presence all over the city they're hiring more police officers apparently um i read a thing that john tory and the like chief of police were reaching out to other large major cities that are high in crime to ask like you know how do they deal with with gun violence and all these other things because we've had increased gun violence in our city and things like that so it's just like okay like what's going on yeah you know like what's what's the deal mm-hmm. and i don't know with all the like u.s stuff going on and just that it's like maybe it could have been something I don't know and then we had the van and everything like the the van driver so it's it is like the timing right now does make it feel a lot scary yeah exactly Um, which is obviously why they take everything so seriously and Mm -hmm. responding in the same manner Mm -hmm. but yeah anyway nothing happened that was the most exciting thing that happened to me in the past couple of weeks I did forget that when we were in Hiroshima, we um, took the bullet train into a city that was currently undergoing a natural disaster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You had updated your Facebook status. And we had no idea because it's a big, like, it's a big city, so, like, it's still the whole prefecture, but everything was happening much, much more to the west of us. Um, but it did affect some of... So it was typhoon season. Yeah. Um, but it, like, made, like, the front page of, like, BBC, like, everything, like, world news. Um, it was just, like, a really bad typhoon, lots of flooding. Oh, yeah. Like, two to three million people had to evacuate. There were landslides. It was really bad. You would, like, see, like, helicopter rescue, like, trying to pick people up. You saw that? Like, in the news. Oh, okay. Off, like, their roofs. We were, like, fine because we were like far away the way that I described it was like I don't know in terms of the actual distance scale this is true but like you know when there's forest fires in Sonoma County but you live in San Francisco yeah 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 Yeah. you're fine in San Fran but yeah okay so it was like on the order of that it was interesting though because Colin went for a conference and the hotel had to put out like a safety message being like it's safe please come. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, because that's where the conference was in Hiroshima. Yeah. Okay. And then, like, um, we'd been getting, like, um, breakfast from the convenience stores because in Japan, 7-Eleven is, like, this amazing, wonderful 
place where you get like regular fresh food and like Weird. things like that and it's like the cheapest way to do breakfast so that's what we'd been doing but all the roads had been closed so the whole week we were there like no one got deliveries like no trucks were coming in no deliveries were being made so like things like that where we're just like yeah this something is happening out there yeah 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 something the, like residual effects yeah. that you felt yeah mm-hmm. interesting yeah, we saw. Well, I saw on your Facebook that you posted that you were safe in the flooding. Mm-hmm. I saw that. It's very nice to see. I'm safe. <laughs> You're safe. Um, well, do you want to get into our? Yeah. Our, oh, should we talk about regionals? I feel like we should talk. We don't talk about. Oh my god! Anymore. Yeah. So I flew <laughs> back on Friday um, at six thirty p.m. Went up to Barry. I think at 8 30 p.m yeah um and then played regionals the whole weekend yeah and we um you know tournament aside we'll get to that but as a side note we stayed in a hotel <gasps> yeah didn't know this when we were booking it but apparently the travel lodge that we were staying at is colloquially known as the murder lodge murder lodge yeah um because we survived we did survive yeah yeah we survived the murder lodge um i didn't know about that the first night so that was nice did know about it the second night though uh dare what happened at the murder lodge Ugh. because you read about it right yeah ari informed us at dinner time because she (laughs) nicely read the article for us um in 2012 at this travel lodge that we stayed at two women were murdered in a satanic cult ritual um and so we were just like who are these women like what happened here like um so it wasn't as dark as like a kidnapping or a court a coercion or anything it was you know these two women and this man they met on you know joyofsatan.com oh god and (laughs) went to this travel lodge to perform this ritual (laughs) Okay, so that's where we stayed. Yeah. That uh, probably had no bearing on the rest of our weekend, but it's certainly an interesting portion of, of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then we played regionals, uh, which was great. It was great. Um, you know, we had exactly the outcome that I guess the um, that was expected. You know, we held our seed. We ended up fifth out of seven teams. Uh, we had some, some good really good spirited games uh we had not as tight of a match as i would have liked with our toronto you know rivals Mm -hmm. toxics i would have liked a tighter match there but um they're a strong team this year so uh yeah i was i was really impressed by um the level of play that i saw coming from our team and from other teams in ontario which is always nice to see in women's um yeah, I felt like it was a good test run. We're going to nationals. Woo, we're going to nationals. Woo! A um, <laughs> couple weeks. And it was kind of like a way to see how far we've come skill-wise, but also in terms of our mental game, mm-hmm. um, because we don't always get to perform under high pressure, um, and that's equally important to, you know, have having, you know, drilled all of those skills into you, but... If you need to focus or if you're feeling a lot of pressure, like that's going to come into play a lot and mm-hmm. how it affects your game. Yeah, and I thought, um, I mean, really looking back on any game or tournament, our mentality is not did we win, but, 
you know, did we play the game we wanted to play or mm-hmm. work on the things we wanted exactly. to work on? And and I did feel like we left most of our games um, with that mentality, especially um, the last two games we played on Saturday. And even the Toxics game, I really felt like we... Uh, even after having a three-hour bye, which sucked, if I'm mm-hmm. being honest. But after that that really long break, we had to come in and sort of refocus, and it was almost like starting the day all over again, yeah. which is always tough for us. We're not really a start Ugh, of the day yeah, team. Yeah, we are... And yeah, we need... Um, we struggle a little bit picking up our first game, especially when that game is first game in the morning, first day of regionals, and then... We get a two-hour, or we get a two-game bye right after our first game, and then we also have the last game of the day. It's yeah, it was a tough schedule. I mean, I mean, it was it was a tough schedule. We didn't have a great schedule, but um, overall, you know, the so we played um, one of our. I would like to call them our sister team, I guess, Fox in our first game, and they were very strong this year, which is phenomenal. You know, they're also a new team, so seeing them come out strong was great. We're super proud of them. They beat their seed this weekend, so congrats to the ladies of Fox. You guys rock. Um, and we had them in our first game, and it was a great game, spirited, but, you know, they were strong, came out strong, and, and um, you know, we were struggling a little bit in that first game. But then I did feel like in the Toxics game that we did better, and we were stronger personally. We just, I thought we, still, we did phenomenal in yeah. this game. Every point... We went end zone to end zone. We really did, yeah. Um, yeah, like where I felt Fox, you know, really was the stronger team and they, they deserved that win. Certainly I don't take anything away from Toxics, but I did feel like we were with them every point. We just weren't converting as much yeah. of the points in our end zone, but which we, we did a lot better in our next two games because we started using our timeouts like Slater really <laughs> was hammering home. But uh, yeah, and that, that that game against Toxics, we really were back and forth with them and it was, um, we were pushing them to make Ds. They were pushing, like pushing them to have um, some turnovers and they were pushing us to, to have some turnovers. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of back and forth, and I, I felt great about it. I felt great about that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we played two strong teams on Sunday, uh, the two strongest teams, that the two that went to the final, you know, um, and then their final was a universe point win for PPF. So both playing Stella and PPF were tough games for us. Again, they're just stronger teams than we are at this point. Um, but we learned a lot, worked hard, saw some huge improvements. Overall, a good weekend, I would say. Great weekend yeah. and good test run for nationals. Yeah, how, for sure. What we want to work on, how we want to see ourselves. Yeah, and I feel like everyone left the weekend feeling like, okay, this went well, even though you're not necessarily having all the wins. Like, we're not going to mm-hmm. have all those wins. Yeah, um, just even seeing what that matchup is going to look like mm-hmm. in reality versus what you've maybe built up in your head. Yeah. I think dispelled some fears some anxieties which puts us in a good place yeah totally and I think um I think when you play teams that are stronger than you some some people start to feel like a lot of pressure and stress and it's good to get that out of the way before nationals so they mm-hmm. now our girls have had a chance to play against you know selling PPF for some of the best teams in Canada they they might either of those teams could win the whole tournament at nationals so um you know it's a good opportunity to have strong players play against you and learn where your areas of improvement are um and then also just like something that we talked about a lot over the weekend with mental game was not letting other strong players make you feel like you're not good enough or like you're not a strong enough player. Um, so I think that helped the the girls a lot yeah. to sort of get that experience. So yeah, great weekend. Had great fun. Weekend. Yeah. It was super hot though. A Sunday, it was really hot. It was, I don't even know what the temperature was like 
I don't know, like 35 maybe. Like it, it was, it was bad with the humidity. It was so bad. I was, I was literally like dripping sweat all day and I don't normally, like I do sweat, but I don't normally sweat that much. And it was like dripping down my face into my eyes and I couldn't keep sunscreen on because every time I put it on, it would just drip off in mm-hmm. my face. Um, and I had a moment between our two games where I was like sitting in the sun and I was like, uh, just like losing focus just like not able to like yeah I was like sitting with Ari in the sun and we eventually were like all right we should probably make our way to the shade because it was just like <laughs> like it was yeah that feeling where you're just so hot and out of it but yeah. you're still sitting in the sun you're just like I think I need to move yeah but like your brain is like addled at that point oh I was like yeah. fried yeah. yeah and then we still had another game and I was uh-huh. just like I, yeah I was frying and we were finally like alright we need to go over and I actually felt bad Some one of my friends Neil came up to chat with me and I I think I was a little bit out of it and I think I brushed him off just like needing to go to the shade like he wanted to chat and I was kind of just like I'll talk to you later and kind of just walked away to the shade um, so Neil I'm sorry but uh, yeah I was a little bit out of it and needed a I needed a refresh and okay. like to be cold again and then at the end of the day, I think we were talking about this um, yesterday, but I got home um, and it was just like, it was just so hot and I was so hot that I had a bit of that heat exhaustion that, that comes in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so I took like a really, really cold shower and like sat in the bath for like 30 minutes, just yeah. like cold water. And I felt much better after that, just like seeping all the heat out. Yes, you are correct. You got to lower your core temperature yeah. before your brain fries. Yeah, it's weird. It's such a weird feeling. You feel like... I, I get really nauseous personally, like nauseous and then a little bit out of it. And then I also had that cold so that was also like compacting my like my head and was all swollen. My lymph glands were swollen. My sinuses were swollen. Mm-hmm. And I had the heat. So I was just like, can't function. <laughs> what life do? So I felt better after I got cool. But anyway, um, besides the heat, I would say great weekend. Great weekend. Should we move into question period? <laughs> you love question period. I love question period. What are we calling it? We need a name for our segment. What did we say that we were going to name it? <sighs> science segment something. Dara does science. Science with Dara. Science with Dara. Science with Dara. All right. Where Dara answers, a blind, where Dara answers blind questions. For <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> yeah. How many? You don't get that many this week. Um, well, I just, I've, I've written down so many, so I just well, need to... Well, you better pick one burning question, because we still got to get to your segment. Oh, true. Okay. Um, do you want to do, like, a science question? Or I, I also wrote down one that's about science, but it's more philosophical. Do you want to do that one? Oh, sure. Okay. Um, so, this is something I, I watched a video on YouTube the other day, and it was about um, somebody who does, like... I really don't know what his job is, but basically he was talking about colors and, like, painting and paint. And so he was explaining that there is this, like, color that they've developed. It's, like, this pink color, but it's not pink. It's, like, more than pink. And the camera can't even capture what the pink actually looks like because, like, just the way he was describing it, like, you can't actually see it. But he was like, but I see it in person, and it's, like, it's insane. It's, like, a different color. Mm -hmm. And so I was curious about this, and apparently, like, there are lots of... Like, there are other colors that have been identified that we don't really, like, know about. There are lots of things in the scientific world that we don't know about. So my question is, why is the world of science, like, kind of detached from the general public, so to speak? Like, why don't we know about those things sooner? Like, how come YouTube has a bigger jump on that kind of information than, like, than we do? Like, why do science curriculums take so long to update? Like, why? I just feel like there's a big gap between Mm. what we're learning and what we're knowing and what, like 
what we're being taught or what the average person knows. Yeah. I think kind of what you're speaking to is this idea of um, kind of buzzwords that are only coming up now in like my generation and um, like even careers now. Um, so some of those words are like science communication, uh, knowledge mobilization, and it's just describing this exactly what you're saying, basically a gap between the public and then the scientists who do the science, and then how do we bridge those two yeah. audiences? So I actually personally feel like YouTube does a great job of that because they, there are all these great ideas for videos that can like kind of bring the information to the people. So I watched this really great one where it was a quantum like quantum computer specialist basically she works with quantum computers did you yeah, see this video I think I did. yeah and she's explaining it to like a six-year-old and then like a 13 year old yeah. and then a high school and then masters and then phd yeah. um, and that's awesome one more thing i would want to add there though is kind of what makes that um communication hard as well is the way that our society likes to receive information now and kind of that like clickbait or viral video or how is it interesting um is a bit of warping so it's just like how do we make science fun to learn and like all of those things like that where you're just like how do I make it catchy and interesting where like if you are a great communicator you can probably achieve that but it's you know, science is complex and these ideas are nuanced. And so it's not always super easy to compress into like a 30 second or, mm. you know, even five minute like video clip. Right. Well, and I, I too find when I watch these videos, like science videos, sometimes it's like you watch this whole video and they explain this whole thing. But then I sometimes get to the end of the video and I'm like, okay, I still don't get it because, yeah, because there's so yeah. much else that goes on. Like, and I have a friend that, um, like, absolutely, like, another um, PhD um, in my cohort who despises whenever Radiolab does science reporting because mm. it's not wrong, but it's not true, like, in the truest sense of, like, his level of understanding, which is, like, impossible to communicate effectively like right. kind of also what's hard about science communication is that you do have to lose a little bit of like like there's no way to communicate a PhD level nuanced yeah. science complex thing yeah. with to the level of like a five year old yeah. without losing a little bit in yeah. between right yeah I mean I would say the same is true for most like professions or PhD studies yeah like you I mean even philosophy you can study um uh you know Kant and know his you know categorical imperative and then to explain that to a person who doesn't understand necessarily what it is you can simplify it into like you know this is what it means in one sentence or less but you're not going to get into like the like the parts of it and everything and and if that person can explain just that small piece of it like or understand that small piece of it for most like for most people that yeah. ha- it has to be enough you know because if if i was at a phd level then we would we can't all be at a we PhD can't all level. know everything yeah like, and we can't explain yeah. everything in in full detail because it's just i just think it's possible it's not i agree and i think kind of 
you're missing the point too, right? Because it's not to have a full understanding of this thing. It's to be able to appreciate it enough yeah. to be like, oh, this is some information that is cool and like important and interesting and mm-hmm. science is cool and important and interesting. Yeah. So how, so from your perspective, you know, sort of back to my original question with this sort of detachment between, you know, finding discoveries and like making, making discoveries and then, and sort of getting new information and, and bringing that, like what's the sort of next ways to kind of bridge those gaps? Like how do we, if these new colors are being discovered, how do I know yeah. about them? Like how so do we, I think, yeah. um, one of the things there is that scientists are very careful and they, and you know, everything that we are doing is answering a hypothesis, but there's always more information to be had. And there's always, when you find out something new, you always discover greater complexity. Mm -hmm. And so it's very hard for a scientist to ever say, this is the thing, or this is it, or this is completely true, or like, you know, because it's always changing and it's always like something that you discovered was one way, maybe in 10 years is going to be like a different thing altogether. So why are there some things though that we just accept to be true in science? Like things that we currently like teach or you know, there are certain concepts that we've sort of accepted to be like, okay, this is, we teach the, you know, how does gravity work? Or yeah. like we, there are some things that we generally accept to be true. So those things are like things that have stood the test of time and scientific okay. rigor. So time so is really the... So time is the thing. So it's okay. like one person found it out. And then, you know, their competitor also was just like, hey, I don't think you're right. Let me try to replicate this. And then they do. And they're just like okay, you know, I was right. And then someone in a different country does it. And then someone else in a, somewhere else does it, right? And then at this time, we become, we reach this convergent truth, right. which is what we say would be like, this is what we'll teach people and we'll yeah. pass on um, until like something groundbreaking happens and we shake that. Okay. But like, that's also kind of the great thing about science too, where if that did happen people would be like whoa like yeah and then if that thing passes like the test then we'll be like yeah that's the new thing yeah if i think the it's this podcast is having a visceral effect on me because the more we talk about science and the more that you like tell me about things and the more i look into these things and watch these videos because i'm trying way harder now in my adult life to like understand what the world is because mm-hmm. I used to say to myself like Meh, it's okay that you don't know science isn't your thing like it's fine but now we have these conversations and I'm like god I should know that you know like if this is a thing that people know like I should know that um and to like qualify myself in my mind as being like an intelligent person you know I should be able to say yes of course planes fly over the north <laughs> like, I should know those things so the like effect that this podcast is having on me is like you know, now that we sort of have these conversations, I've, my interest in science has like exploded. Yeah. Yeah. Like I never really, not that I didn't care before, but I was kind of like, okay to be like, this isn't the thing that I'm good at or whatever. I think what, what I would hope maybe is the influence or the effect here is that it's like, oh, you know, it's not as scary or this is actually more accessible than I thought it was or... Honestly, YouTube really helps with that. I'm mm-hmm. so down with like SciShow and all those things that are that are out there that where they like 
make things simple and interesting. And I actually watched um, a TED Talk. I really like TED Talks. I watched a TED Talk where they, um, John Green talked about why, um, like, why more people are, like, watching their, like, how successful their videos are and why he thinks they're so successful. Um, And sort of in this talk, he was just saying how, like, in this new age of YouTube videos where the information is there for you. Like we always think that, you know, cause kids don't really like school and kids struggle to pay attention and they're not, you know, get, gaining the information that we're trying to give them in the classroom. But then they go home and they watch all these videos and that's accessible to them. Like that's the way the information becomes accessible. So it's not that his overall point was not that people aren't like interested in learning that people are extremely interested in learning and everybody wants to learn new things and they want to understand. It's just that the way that they're being given the information is not always the best way. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, I think why YouTube is and his point, why YouTube is becoming so successful is because it's like a six minute video on this one thing and you can learn it and then be like, okay, cool. I got it. Instead of listening for an hour to a professor talk to you or like reading from a book, which some people can't do. Mm -hmm. Like I always found that hard with science. I don't find that hard with novels, but I find it really hard with science to read mm-hmm. whereas the videos where I watch them do it and it's like oh okay cool and they have a nice voice and it's like you know it's, it's yeah. palatable so yeah, yeah. I don't know I liked that For the sure. whole overarching theme of it was that people are interested they do want to know things mm-hmm. there is like yes it's there yes that yes. is hopefully <laughs> Yeah, one of the, yeah, I will cite you when I need to apply for funding for why science communication <laughs> is important. Please do. And there's a, there's a thirsty audience out there for it. But um, just to circle back to your for your original question really quick, talking about how things that we do teach people have stood the test of time mm. for scientific, for passing rigor is essentially why it takes so long for scientists to tell you things mm. because we're so careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I we haven't want, proven it yet. We want things to be true. Mm. And proving truth in science is very, very, very difficult. Which is why when you learn something about science, you can pretty well take stock in it. Mm. And when there are people who advocate against science, that's why it's so cringe. Is it gut-wrenching? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... I mean, I don't, I would, (laughs) there probably aren't that many scientists out there who wouldn't argue for more, um, you know, more funding for not just for science programs themselves, but also for like getting the information out and like, you know, opening up the, and that's also kind of like a, a duty of scientists that is important and something that we forget sometimes because like what we're doing is only possible through like public funding Mm -hmm. and you know taxpayers and like the collective society being like well what the heck are you doing and why is this cool and interesting and important um did you know i learned this the other day also from a youtube video uh i watched this this guy who um I'll link his name in the show notes because I don't remember his name, but in his video, he used to work for NASA and now he does, he like, he's just an, like a, an engineer, not just, but he just does engineering stuff. Just an aerospace he's just an engineer. <laughs> yeah. So he worked for NASA for a long time. Now he makes yeah. these YouTube videos and he doesn't work for NASA anymore. Um, but he was talking in a video about why we need NASA yes. and yeah. And he, and so he showed like how much of the budget in the U S goes towards NASA and it's very, very small. And then he talked about sort of like what NASA does. And so his once 
project that he was working on. Um, it's just a small piece of what NASA does, but it had a huge lasting impact. Um, it was a satellite um, that orbited and it like spread out this whole thing. Um, and when it would orbit around the Earth, it would check like... Um, like water levels and stuff and one of the th- outcomes because NASA's information is all publicly available yeah. what other countries are able to do is take that information and better um, rotate their crops or like do like it, it just really affected like a huge impact on, on growth yeah. in other countries especially in Africa where it's such a problem so like huge so just huge impacts from one small project and it's like which is an amazing amazing thing yes. but it's like maybe perhaps the average American taxpayer would be like why would I why would they use my money to help African yeah. farmers? But so, so yeah, and so I think, funny enough, that, like, the, like, I guess our probably approach would be that, well, America also benefited from it. Like, why, why, and this is something that kills me, like, and why. And this is why NASA's amazing. I know, because at the end of the day, is America is benefiting, but we're all benefiting. Like, you don't benefit less just because you benefited another country also. Like, you still get all the benefit from that. It's just that another country also gets to benefit. And like, that's also kind that of what's thing? cool about science, because it crosses borders. Yeah. Like, when you figure out one technology, it's of, and you publish, everyone in the world gets that technology now. Like, wasn't the original polio vaccination, um, they didn't, like... Trademark it or whatever, like they didn't privatize uh, they the. Didn't patent it. Yeah, they didn't patent it, so yeah. then they were able to cure everyone. And it was like some of those earlier diseases that that we don't really suffer from anymore if you get vaccinated. So we get vaccinated, folks. Um, but some of those earlier diseases they didn't patent the vaccine, so everyone was able to benefit and live. And it's like, and now we patent all these vaccines that we create, and we make millions of dollars. Like these companies make millions of dollars, and it's like that whole like you know anyway sorry we're getting super off topic but yeah I find that very frustrating and it's why I think the video was great yeah. eye opener for why something like NASA and why a public open availability um, to, to that kind of information is so important yeah and it is it's interesting I was listening to a podcast recently one of the this is a newer podcast it's Ologies by Allie Ward and she's talking to she was doing a Mars episode about areology mm. Mars Aries yeah. Um, and kind of germane to this, one of the things they were talking about is how NASA, like, takes such care to scrub all of their equipment to make sure that when we go to different planets or interplanetary anything, we're not bringing microbes and contaminating those planets and, like, invading and colonizing those things. And NASA's very careful about that, and they have to be very careful about everything. Um, But now we're kind of seeing the emergence of private um, space companies. Yeah, like SpaceX. And they're just, like well, we're just going to do it and faster and, like, yeah. who cares about that stuff? You're just like, oh. Uh, but why? <laughs> Private company. <laughs> what? It, like, I get the fascination to go to other planets if... Because a lot of people think, like, Earth won't be in... You know, it won't be habitable for, for much longer, but, like, since... Why leaving? Like, why not just, just fix yeah. what we're doing wrong? Like, why do we have to leave? There's also, on that in that same episode, I'm forgetting the name of the person it's like kim stewart robbins or something i don't know anyway he's a he's a science fiction writer who does these like amazing mars books i think something like that i'm getting all the information wrong i'll put it in the show notes um and she does a quick interview with him and he advocates that this is 
totally the wrong information to have out there that like the entire idea that we could leave and go colonize another planet is so detrimental to saving our own planet yeah this is like like a real fallacious like shouldn't even be out there information like because it's ruining earth yeah and what are we going to do just ruin every planet we go to like is that the plan yeah Yeah. um obviously not in the near near future that that's going to happen but it's something to think about for the far far future Mm -hmm. uh well done good answer Maybe. I don't know. We rambled a lot. We did. Yeah, we went on and on. <laughs> that was an, it's just an interesting, interesting topic, though. I feel like we could have done a whole episode just on that whole... Mm-hmm. It's something I think about a lot, and it kind of branches in different things. Anyway. Yeah. If you have any <laughs> thoughts, dear listeners, please write in. Yes. Let us know. All right. That was a great chat. Uh, really appreciated your awesome insight (laughs) um we had another segment planned but we're gonna save it for our next episode uh don't want to take too much of your time get ready for our exciting segment where i asked chelsea about her superpower which is reading a million books too many books (laughs) um i am not on track to meet my goal this year though i had a goal goal? my goal is 140 books this year oh my god yeah i'm not on track i was super on track in january i think i read almost 30 books in january and then I fell off a little bit. Not that I read 20 books in January and then I fell off. But I read long books. I just like if I read crappy short novels. Anyway, sorry, we can say this. <laughs> um, all right, friends, we will talk to you next week. Uh, Dara, I'll see you on the fields. See you on the fields.